Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and today, part two of The Reporter Who Made Himself King. And now, our story. After this reception, the embassy marched back to the consul's office, surrounded by an immense number of the natives, some of whom ran ahead and looked back at them, and crowded so close that the two Bradleys had to poke at those nearest with their guns. The crowd remained outside the office even after the procession of four had disappeared, and cheered. This suggested to Gordon that this would be a good time to make a speech, which he accordingly did, Stedman translating it sentence by sentence. At the conclusion of this effort, Albert distributed a number of brass rings among the married men present, which they placed on whichever finger fitted best, and departed delighted. Albert wished to give the rings to the married women, but Stedman pointed out to him that it would be much cheaper to give them to the married men, for while one woman could only have one husband, one man could have at least six wives. "'And now, Stedman,' said Albert, after the mob had gone, "'tell me what you're doing on this island.' "'It's a very simple story,' Stedman said. "'I am the representative, or agent, or operator, for the Yokohama Cable Company. "'The Yokohama Cable Company is a company organized in San Francisco "'for the purpose of laying a cable to Yokohama, Japan. "'It is a stock company, and though it started out very well, "'the stock has fallen very low. "'Between ourselves, it is not worth over three or four cents.' When the officers of the company found out that no one would buy their stock, and that no one believed in them or their scheme, they laid a cable to Octavia and extended it onto this island. Then they said they'd run out of ready money, and would wait until they got more before laying their cable any farther. I do not think they ever will lay it any farther, but that's not of my business. My business is to answer cable messages from San Francisco, so that the people who visit the home office can see that at least part of the cable is working." That sometimes impresses them, and they buy stock. There is another chap, over in Octavia, who relays all my messages and all my replies to those messages that come to me, through him, from San Francisco. They never send a message unless they have brought someone to the office whom they want to impress, and who they think has money to invest in the YCC stock, and so we never go near the wire except at three o'clock every afternoon, and then generally only to say, How are you? or it's raining, or something like that. 
"'I've been saying it's raining now for the last three months, "'but today I will say that the new consul has arrived. "'That will be a pleasant surprise for the chap in Octavia, "'for he must be tired hearing about the weather. "'He generally answers, "'Here too,' or, "'So you said,' or something like that. "'I don't know what he says to the home office. "'He's brighter than I am, "'and that's why they put him between the two ends. "'He can see that the messages are transmitted "'more fully and more correctly "'in a way to please possible subscribers.' "'Sort of like a copy editor,' suggested Albert. "'Yes, something of that sort, I fancy,' said Stedman. "'They walked down to the little shed on the shore "'where the YCC office was placed at three that day, "'and Albert watched Stedman send off his message with much interest. "'The chap at Octavia, on being informed "'that the American consul had arrived at Opeki, "'inquired, somewhat disrespectfully, "'Is it a life sentence?' "'What does he mean by that?' asked Albert.' "'I suppose,' said his new secretary, doubtfully, "'that he thinks it's a sort of punishment to be sent to Opeki. "'I hope you won't grow to think so.' "'Opeki is all very well,' said Gordon, "'or it will be when we get things going our way.' "'As they walked back to the office, "'Albert noticed a brass cannon "'perched on a rock at the entrance to the harbor. "'This had been put there by the last consul, "'but it had not been fired for many years.' Albert immediately ordered the two Bradleys to get it in order, and to rig up a flagpole beside it for one of his American flags, which they were to salute every night when they lowered it at sundown. "'And when we're not using it,' he said, "'the king can borrow it to celebrate with, if he doesn't impose on us too often. The royal salute ought to be twenty-one guns, I think, but that would use up too much powder, so he will have to content himself with two. "'Did you notice?' "'asked Stedman that night, "'as they sat on the veranda of the consul's house "'in the moonlight. "'How the people bowed to us as we passed?' "'Yes. "'Albert said he had noticed it. "'Why?' "'Well, they never saluted me,' replied Stedman. "'That sign of respect is due to the show we made at the reception.' "'It's due to us, in any event,' said the consul, severely. "'I tell you, my secretary, "'that we, as the representatives of the United States government, "'must be properly honored on this island. "'We must become a power.' "'and we must do so without getting into trouble with the king. "'We must make them honor him, too. "'And then as we push him up, "'we will push ourselves up at the same time.' "'They don't think much of consuls in Opeki,' "'said Stedman, doubtfully. "'You see, the last one was a pretty poor sort. "'He brought the office into disrepute, "'and it wasn't really until I came "'and told them what a fine country the United States was "'that they had any opinion of it at all. "'Now we must change all that.' "'And that's just what we'll do,' said Albert. "'We will transform Opeki into a powerful and beautiful city. "'We will make these people work. "'They must put up a palace for the king, "'and lay out streets, and build wharfs, "'and drain the town properly, and light it. "'I haven't seen this patent lighting apparatus of yours, "'but you had better get to work at it at once, "'and I'll persuade the king to appoint you "'commissioner of highways and gas, "'with authority to make his people toil. "'And I,' he cried, in free enthusiasm, "'We'll organize a navy and a standing army. "'Only,' he added, with a relapse of interest, "'there isn't anybody to fight.' "'There isn't?' said Stedman, grimly, with a scornful smile. "'You just go hunt up old Messinois and the hillmen "'with your standing army once, and you'll get all the fighting you want.' "'The hillmen?' said Albert. "'The hillmen are the natives that live up there in the hills,' Stedman said. "'nodding his head toward the three high mountains "'at the other end of the island "'that stood out blackly against the purple moonlit sky. 
"'There are nearly as many of them as there are Opekians here, "'and they hunt and fight for a living and for the pleasure of it. "'They have an old rascal named Masenwa for a king, "'and they come down here about once every three months "'and just tear things up.' "'Albert sprang to his feet. "'Oh, they do, do they?' he said, "'staring up at the mountain tops. "'They come down here and tear up things, do they? "'Well, I think we'll stop that. "'I think we'll stop that. "'I don't care how many there are. "'I'll get the two Bradleys to tell me "'all they know about drilling tomorrow morning, "'and we'll drill these Opekians "'and have sham battles and attacks and repulses "'until I make a lot of wild, howling Zulus out of them. "'And when the hillmen come down to pay their quarterly visit, "'they'll go back again on a run. "'At least some of them will.' "'he added ferociously. "'Some of them will stay right here.' "'Dear me,' said Stedman, with awe, "'you are a born fighter, aren't you?' "'Well, you wait and see,' said Gordon. "'Maybe I am. "'I haven't studied tactics of war "'and the history of battles "'so that it might be a great war correspondent "'without learning something. "'And there is only one king on this island, "'and that is old Olypibus himself. "'I'll go over and have a talk with him about it tomorrow.' Young Stedman walked up and down the length of the veranda, in and out of the moonlight, with his hands in his pockets and his head on his chest. "'You have me all stirred up, Gordon,' he said. "'You seem so confident and bold, and you're not so much older than I am, either.' "'My training has been different, that's all,' said the reporter. "'Yes,' Stedman said bitterly. "'I have been sitting in an office ever since I left school, sending news over a wire or a cable, and you've been out in the world.' "'Gathering it.' "'And now,' said Gordon, smiling, "'and putting his arm around the other boy's shoulders, "'we are going to make news ourselves. "'There is one thing I want to say to you "'before you turn in,' said Stedman. "'Before you suggest all these improvements on Olapivis, "'you must remember that he has ruled absolutely here for twenty years, "'and that he does not think much of consuls. "'He has only seen your predecessor and yourself. "'He likes you because you appeared with such dignity.' "'and because of the presence. "'But if I were you, "'I wouldn't suggest these improvements "'as coming from yourself.' "'I don't understand,' said Gordon. "'Who else would they come from?' "'Well,' said Stedman, "'if you will allow me to advise, "'and you see, I know these people pretty well, "'I would have all these suggestions "'come from the President direct.' "'The President?' exclaimed Gordon. "'But how? "'What does the President know or care about Opeki?' "'and it would take so long. "'Oh, I see, the cable. "'Is that what you've been doing?' he asked. "'Well, only once,' said Stedman, guiltily. "'That was when he wanted to turn me out of the consul's office, "'and I had a cable that very afternoon from the president "'ordering me to stay where I was. "'Olipibus doesn't understand the cable, of course, "'but he knows that it sends messages, "'and sometimes I pretend to send messages for him to the president. "'But he began asking me to tell the president "'to come and pay him a visit.' "'and I had to stop it.' "'I'm glad you told me that,' said Gordon. "'The President shall begin to cable tomorrow. "'He will need an extra appropriation from Congress "'to pay for his private cablegrams alone.' "'And there's another thing,' said Stedman. "'In all your plans you've arranged for the people's improvement, "'but not for their amusement. "'And they are a peaceful, jolly, simple sort of people, "'and we must please them.' "'Have they no games or amusements of their own?' asked Gordon.' "'Well, not what we would call games.' "'Very well, then. I'll teach them baseball. "'Football would be too warm. "'But that plaza in front of the king's bungalow, 
where his palace is going to be, is just the place for a diamond. On the whole, though, added the consul, after a moment's reflection, you'd better attend to that yourself. I don't think it becomes my dignity as American consul to take off my coat and give lessons to young Opekians in sliding to bases, do you? No, I think you'd better do that. The Bradleys will help you, and you had better begin tomorrow. You have been wanting to know what a secretary of legation's duties are, and now you know. It's to organize baseball games. And after you get yours ready, he added, as he turned into his room for the night, I'll train one that will sweep yours off the face of the island. For this American consul can pitch three curves. The best laid plans of men go far astray sometimes, and the great and beautiful city that was to rise on the coast of Opeki was not built in a day. Nor was it ever built. For before the Bradleys could mark out the foul lines for the baseball field on the plaza, or teach their standing army the goose step, or lay bamboo pipes for the water mains, or clear away the cactus for the extension of the king's palace, the hill men paid Opeki their quarterly visit. We'll return with our story right after these sponsor messages. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And now, back to our story. Albert had called on the king the next morning, with Stedman as his interpreter, as he had said he would, and with maps and sketches had shown his majesty what he proposed to do toward improving Opeki and ennobling her king. And when king saw Albert's freehand sketches of wharfs with tall ships lined at anchor, and rows of Opekian warriors with the Bradleys at their head, and the design for his new palace, and a royal sedan chair, he believed that these things were already his, and not still only on paper, and he appointed Albert his Minister of War, and Stedman his Minister of Home Affairs, and selected two of his wisest and oldest subjects to serve them as joint advisers. His enthusiasm was even greater than Gordon's, because he did not appreciate the difficulties. He thought Gordon a semi-god, a worker of miracles, and urged the putting up of a monument to him at once in the public plaza, to which Albert objected, on the ground that it would be too suggestive of an idol, and to which Stedman also objected, but for the less unselfish reason that it would be in the way of the pitcher's box. They were feverishly discussing all these great changes, and Stedman was translating, as rapidly as he could translate, the speeches of four different men, for the two counselors had been called in, all of whom wanted to speak at once, when there came from outside a great shout, and the screams of women, and the clashing of iron, and the pattering footsteps of men running. As they looked at one another in startled surprise, a native ran into the room, followed by Bradley Jr., "'and threw himself down before the king. "'While he talked, beating his hands "'and bowing before Olypibus, "'Bradley, Jr., pulled his forelock to the consul "'and told how this man lived on the far outskirts of the village, "'how he had been captured while out hunting "'by a number of the hillmen, "'and how he had escaped to tell people "'that their old enemies were on the warpath again "'and rapidly approaching the village. "'Outside, the women were gathering in the plaza "'with the children about them, "'and the men were running from hut to hut "'warning their fellows and arming themselves with spears and swords "'and the native bows and arrows. "'They might have waited until we had that army trained,' said Gordon, "'in a tone of the keenest displeasure. 
Tell me, quick, what do they generally do when they come? They steal all the cattle and goats, and a woman or two, and then set fire to the huts in the outskirts, replied Stedman. Well, we must stop them, said Gordon, jumping up. We must take out a flag of truce and treat with them. They must be kept off until they have my army in working order. It is most inconvenient. If they had only waited two months, now, or six weeks even, we could have done something, but now we must make peace. Tell the king we are going out to fix things with them, and tell him to keep off his warriors until he learns whether we succeed or fail. But, Gordon, gasped Stedman. Albert, you don't understand. Why, man, this isn't a street fight or a cane rush. They'll stick you full of spears, dance on your body, or eat you, maybe. A flag of truce? You're talking nonsense. What do they know of a flag of truce? You're talking nonsense, too, said Albert, and you're talking to your superior officer. If you are not with me in this, go back to your cable and tell the man in Octavia that it's a warm day and that the sun is shining. But if you've any spirit in you, and I think you have, run to the office and get my Winchester rifles and the two shotguns and my revolvers and my uniform and a lot of brass things for presents and run all the way there and back. And make time. Play like you're riding a bicycle at the agricultural fair. Stedman did not hear this last, for he was already off and away, pushing through the crowd and calling on Bradley Sr. to follow him. Bradley Jr. looked at Gordon with eyes that snapped, like a dog that is waiting for his master to throw a stone. "'I can fire a Winchester, sir,' he said. "'Old Tom can't. He's no good at long range, except with a big gun, sir. Don't give him the Winchester. Give it to me, please.' Albert met Stedman in the plaza and pulled off his blazer and put on Captain Travis's, now his, uniform coat and his white pith helmet. "'Now, Jack,' he said, "'get up there and tell these people that we're going out to make peace with these hillmen or bring them back prisoners of war. Tell them we are the preservers of their homes and wives and children. And you, Bradley, take these presents, and young Bradley, keep close to me and carry this rifle.' Stedman's speech was hot and wild enough to suit a critical and feverish audience before a barricade in Paris. And when he was through, Gordon and Bradley punctuated his oration by firing off the two Winchester rifles in the air, at which people jumped and fell on their knees and prayed to their several gods. The fighting men of the village followed the four white men to the outskirts and took up their stand there as Stedman told them to do, and the four walked on over the roughly hewn road to meet the enemy. Gordon walked with Bradley Jr. in advance. Stedman and old Tom Bradley followed close behind with the two shotguns and the presents in a basket. "'Are these hillmen used to guns?' asked Gordon. Stedman said, "'No, they were not.' "'This shotgun of mine is the only one on the island,' he explained, "'and we never came near enough them before to do anything with it. "'It only carries a hundred yards. "'The Opekians never make any show of resistance.' They are quite content if the hillmen satisfy themselves with the outlying huts, as long as they leave them in the town alone, so they seldom come to close quarters. The four men walked on for half an hour or so in silence, peering eagerly on every side. But it was not until they had left the woods and marched out into the level stretch of grassy country that they came upon the enemy. The hillmen were about forty in number, and were as savage and ugly-looking giants as any in a picture book. They had captured a dozen cows and goats, and were driving them on before them as they advanced farther upon the village. When they saw the four men, they gave a mixed chorus of cries and yells, and some of them stopped, and others ran forward, shaking their spears, and shooting their broad arrows into the ground before them. 
a tall, gray-bearded, muscular old man, with a skirt of feathers around him, and necklaces of bones and animal's claws around his bare chest, ran in front of them, and seemed to be trying to make them approach more slowly. "'Is that Masenwa?' asked Gordon. "'Yes,' said Stedman. "'He is trying to keep them back. "'I don't believe he ever saw a white man before.' "'Stedman,' said Albert, speaking quickly, "'give your gun to Bradley, "'and go forward with your arms in the air, "'and waving your handkerchief. "'Tell them in their language that the king is coming. "'If they go at you, "'Bradley and I will kill a goat or two "'to show them what we could do with the rifles. "'And if that doesn't stop them, "'we'll shoot at their legs. "'And if that doesn't stop them, "'I guess you'd better come back, "'and we'll all run.' Stedman looked at Albert, and Albert looked at Stedman, and neither of them winced or flinched. "'Is this another of my secretary's duties?' asked the younger boy. "'Yes,' said the consul. "'But a resignation is always in order. You needn't go if you don't like it. You see, you know the language, and I don't. But I know how to shoot, and you don't.' "'That's perfectly satisfactory,' said Stedman, handing his gun to old Bradley." "'I only wanted to know why I was to be sacrificed "'instead of one of the Bradleys. "'It's because I know the language. "'Bradley Sr., you see the evil results of a higher education. "'Wish me luck, please,' he said. "'And for goodness' sake,' he added impressively, "'don't waste much time shooting goats.' "'The hillmen had stopped about two hundred yards off "'and were drawn up in two lines, "'shouting and dancing "'and hurling taunting remarks at their few adversaries.' The stolen cattle were bunched together back of the king. As Stedman walked steadily forward with his handkerchief fluttering and howling out something in their own tongue, they stopped and listened. As he advanced, his three companions followed him at about fifty yards in the rear. He was one hundred and fifty yards from the hillmen before they made out what he said, and then one of the young braves, resenting it as an insult to his chief, shot an arrow at him. Stedman dodged the arrow and stood his ground without even taking a step backward only turning slightly to put his hands to his mouth and to shout something which sounded to his companions like, "'It's about time to start firing on the goats!' But the instant the young man had fired, King Masenwa swung his club and knocked him down, and none of the others moved. Then Masenwa advanced before his men to meet Stedman, and on Stedman's opening and shutting his hands to show that he was unarmed, the king threw down his club and spears and came forward as empty-handed as himself. "'Ah!' gasped Bradley Jr., with his finger trembling on his lever. Let me take a shot at him now. Gordon struck the man's gun up and walked forward in all glory of his gold and blue uniform, for both he and Stedman saw now that Masenwa was more impressed by their appearance and in the fact that they were white men than with any threats of immediate war. So when he saluted Gordon haughtily, that young man gave him a haughty nod in return and bade Stedman tell the king that he would permit him to sit down. The king did not quite appear to like this, but he sat down nevertheless, and nodded his head gravely. "'Now tell him,' said Gordon, "'that I come from the ruler of the greatest nation on earth, "'and that I recognize Olympus as the only king of this island, "'and that I come to this little threepenny king "'with, with either peace and presence, or bullets and war.' "'Do I have to tell him he's a little threepenny king?' said Stedman, plaintively. "'No, you needn't give a literal translation. "'It can be as free as you please.' "'Thanks,' said Stedman, humbly. "'And tell him,' continued Gordon, "'that we will give presents to him and his warriors "'if he keeps away from Olympus "'and agrees to keep away always. "'If he won't do that, "'try to get him to agree to stay away for three months at least, 
"'and by that time we can get word to San Francisco "'and have a dozen muskets over here in two months, "'and when our time of probation is up "'and he and his merry men come dancing down the hillside, "'we'll blow them up as high as these mountains. "'But you needn't tell him that either. "'And if he is proud and haughty and would rather fight, "'ask him to restrain himself "'until we show what we could do with our weapons at two hundred yards.' Stedman seated himself in the long grass in front of the king, and with many revolving gestures of his arms, and much pointing at Gordon, and profound nods and bows, retold what Gordon had dictated. When he had finished, the king looked at the bundle of presents, and then at the guns, of which Stedman had given a very wonderful account, but answered nothing. "'I guess,' said Stedman, with a sigh, "'that we will have to give him a little practical demonstration to help matters.' "'I'm sorry,' "'but I think one of those goats has got to die. "'It's like vivisection. "'The lower order of animals have to suffer "'for the good of the higher.' "'Oh,' said Bradley Jr. cheerfully, "'I'd just as soon shoot one of those hillmen "'as one of the goats.' "'So Stedman bade the king tell his men "'to drive a goat toward them, "'and the king did so, "'and one of the men struck one of the goats "'with his spear, "'and it ran clumsily across the plain. "'Take your time, Bradley,' said Gordon. "'Aim low, and if you hit it, "'You can have it for supper.' "'And if you miss it,' said Stedman gloomily, "'Masenwa may have us for supper.' "'The hillmen had seated themselves a hundred yards off "'while the leaders were debating, "'and they now rose curiously and watched Bradley "'as he sank upon one knee and covered the goat with his rifle. "'When it was about one hundred and fifty yards off, he fired, "'and the goat fell over dead, "'and then all the hillmen, with the king himself, "'broke away on a run toward the dead animal, with much shouting. "'The king came back alone,' "'leaving his people standing about and examining the goat. "'He was much excited and talked and gesticulated violently. "'He, he says,' said Stedman, "'he says, what? Yes, go on. "'He says, goodness me! "'Well, what does he say?' cried Gordon in great excitement. "'Don't keep it all to yourself.' "'He says,' said Stedman, "'that we are deceived, "'that he is no longer king of the island of Opeki, "'that he is in great fear of us.' "'and that he has got himself into no end of trouble. "'He says he sees that we are indeed mighty men, "'that to us he is as helpless as the wild boar "'before the javelin of the hunter.' "'Well, he's right there,' said Gordon. "'Go on. "'But that which we ask is no longer his to give. "'He has sold his kingship and his right to this island to another king, "'who came to him two days ago in a great canoe, "'and who made noises as we do, with guns. "'I suppose he means—' and to whom he sold the island for a watch that he has in a bag around his neck, and that he signed a paper and made marks on a piece of bark to show that he gave up the island freely and forever. "'What does he mean?' said Gordon. "'How can he give up the island? Olypobus is the king of half of it, anyway, and he knows it.' "'That's just it,' said Stedman. "'That's what frightens him. "'He said he didn't care about Olypobus, "'and he didn't count him in when he made the treaty.' "'because he is such a peaceful chap "'that he knew he would thrash him "'into doing anything he wanted him to do. "'And now that you have turned up "'and taken Olympus's part, "'he wishes he hadn't sold the island "'and wishes to know if you are angry.' "'Angry? Of course I'm angry,' said Gordon, "'glaring as grimly at the frightened monarch "'as he thought was safe. "'Who wouldn't be angry? "'Who do you think these people were "'who made a fool of him, Stedman? "'Ask him to let us see this watch.' Stedman did so, and the king fumbled among his necklaces until he'd brought out a leather bag tied round his neck with a cord, and containing a plain stem-winding silver watch marked on the inside, Munich. Well, that doesn't tell anything, said Gordon, but it's plain enough. Some foreign ship of war has settled on this place as a coaling station, 
or has annexed it for colonization, and they've sent a boat ashore, and they've made a treaty with this old chap, and forced him to sell his birthright for a mess of porridge. Now that's just like these monarchical pirates, imposing upon a poor old black guy. Old Bradley looked at him impudently. Not at all, said Gordon. It's, it's quite different with us. We don't want to rob him or Elipibus, or to annex their land. All we want to do is improve it, and have the fun of running it for them, and meddling in their affairs of state. Well, Stedman, he said, what shall we do? Stedman said that the best and only thing to do was to threaten to take the watch away from Masenwa, but to give him a revolver instead, which would make a friend of him for life, and to keep him supplied with cartridges only as long as he behaved himself, and then to make him understand that, as Elipibus had not given his consent to the loss of the island, Masenwa's agreement, or treaty, or whatever it was, did not stand, and that he had better come down the next day, early in the morning, and join in a general consultation. This was done, and Masenwa agreed willingly to their proposition, and was given his revolver and shown how to shoot it, while the other presents were distributed among the other men, who were as happy over them as girls with a full dance card. "'And now, tomorrow,' said Stedman, "'understand, you are all to come down unarmed and sign a treaty with great Olypivus, in which he will agree to keep to one half of the island if you keep to yours, and there must be no more wars or goat-stealing, or this gentleman on my right and I will come up and put holes in you, just as the gentleman on the left did with the goat. Masenwa and his warriors promised to come early, and saluted reverently as Gordon and his three companions walked up together very proudly and stiffly. "'Do you know how I feel?' said Gordon. "'How?' asked Stedman. "'I feel as I used to do in the city, when the boys in the street were throwing snowballs, and I had to go by with a high hat on my head to pretend not to know they were behind me. I always felt a cold chill down my spinal column, and I could feel that snowball, whether it came or not, right in the small of my back. And I can feel one of those men pulling his bow now, and the arrow sticking out of my right shoulder. Oh, no, you can't, said Stedman. They are too much afraid of those rifles. But I do feel sorry for any of those warriors whom old man Masenwa doesn't like, now that he has that revolver. He isn't the sort to practice on goats. There was great rejoicing when Stedman and Gordon told their story to the king, and the people learned that they were not to have their huts burned and their cattle stolen. The armed Opekians formed a guard around the ambassadors and escorted them to their homes with cheers and shouts, and the women ran at their side and tried to kiss Gordon's hand. "'I'm sorry I can't speak the language, Stedman,' said Gordon, "'or I would tell them what a brave man you are. "'You are too modest to do it yourself, "'even if I dictated something for you to say.' "'As for me,' he said, pulling off his uniform, "'I am thoroughly disgusted and disappointed.' It never occurred to me until it was all over that this was my chance to be a war correspondent. It wouldn't have been much of a war, but then I would have been the only one on the spot, and that counts for a great deal. Still, my time may come. We have a great deal on hand for tomorrow, said Gordon that evening, and we'd better turn in early. And so the people were still singing and rejoicing down in the village when the two conspirators for the peace of the country went to sleep for the night. It seemed to Gordon as though he had hardly turned his pillow twice to get the coolest side when someone touched him, and he saw, by the light of the dozen glowworms in the tumbler by his bedside, Bradley. "'It's me, Bradley,' said the figure. "'Yes,' said Gordon, with the haste of a man to show that sleep has no hold on him. "'Exactly what is it?' "'There is a ship of war in the harbor,' Bradley answered in a whisper. "'I heard her anchor chains rattle when she came to, and that woke me. "'I could hear that if I were dead.' "'and then I made sure by your lights. 
"'She's a great boat, sir, "'and I can know she's a ship of war "'by the challenge when they change the watch. "'I thought you'd like to know it, sir.' "'Gordon sat up and clutched his knees with his hands. "'Yes, of course,' he said. "'You are quite right. "'Still, I don't see what there is to do.' "'He did not wish to show too much youthful interest, "'but though fresh from civilization, "'he had learned how far from it he was, "'and he was curious to see the sign of it "'that had come so much more quickly than he had anticipated.' "'Wake Mr. Stedman, will you?' said he, "'and we will go and take a look at her.' "'You can see nothing but the lights,' said Bradley, "'as he left the room. "'It's a black night, sir.' Stedman was not new from the sight of men in ships of war, "'and came in half-dressed and eager. "'Do you suppose it's the big canoe Masenwa spoke of?' he said. "'I thought of that,' said Gordon. "'The three men fumbled their way down the road to the plaza, "'and saw, as soon as they turned into it, the great outlines and the brilliant lights of an immense vessel, still more immense in the darkness, and glowing like a strange monster of the sea, with just a suggestion here and there, where the light spread, of her cabins and bridges. As they stood on the shore, shivering in the cool night wind, they heard the bells strike over the water. "'It's two o'clock,' said Bradley, counting. "'Well, we can do nothing, and they cannot mean to do much tonight,' Albert said. "'We had better get some more sleep.' "'And, Bradley, you keep watch, and tell us as soon as day breaks.' "'Aye, aye, sir,' said the sailor. "'If that's the man of war that made the treaty with Masenwa, "'and Masenwa turns up tomorrow, "'it looks as if our day would be pretty well filled up,' said Albert, "'as they felt their way back to the darkness. "'What do you intend to do?' asked Stedman, with a voice of some concern. "'I don't know,' Albert answered gravely, from the blackness of the night.' "'It looks as if we're getting ahead just a little too fast, doesn't it?' "'Well,' he added, as they reached the house, "'let's try to keep in step with the procession, "'even if we can't be drum majors and walk in front of it.' "'And with this cheering tone of confidence in their ears, "'the two diplomats went soundly asleep again. "'The light of the rising sun filled the room, "'and the parrots were chattering outside "'when Bradley woke him again. "'They're sending a boat ashore, sir,' he said excitedly. "'and filled with the importance of the occasion. "'She's a German man-of-war, and one of the new models. "'A beautiful boat, sir, for her lines were laid in Glasgow, "'and I can tell that, no matter what flag she flies. "'You had best be moving to meet them. "'The village isn't awake yet.' "'Albert took a cold bath and dressed leisurely. "'Then he made Bradley Jr., who had slept through it all, "'get up breakfast, and the two young men ate it "'and drank their coffee comfortably, "'and with an air of confidence that deceived their servants.' "'if it did not deceive themselves. "'But when they came down the path, "'smoking and swinging their sticks, "'and turned into the plaza, "'their composure left them like a mask, "'and they stopped where they stood. "'The plaza was enclosed by the natives "'gathered in whispering groups, "'and depressed by fear and wonder. "'On one side were crowded all the Masenwa warriors, "'unarmed, and as silent and disturbed as the Opekians. In the middle of the plaza, some twenty sailors were busy rearing and bracing a tall flagstaff that they had shaped from a royal palm, and they did this as unconcernedly and as contemptuously, and with as much indifference to the strange groups on either side of them, as though they were working on a barren coast, with nothing but the startled seagulls about them. As Albert and Stedman came on the scene, the flagpole was in place, and the halyards hung from it with a little bundle of bunting at the end of one of them. "'We must find the king at once,' "'said Gordon. "'He was terribly excited and angry. "'It's easy enough to see what this means. "'They are going through the form of annexing this island "'to the other lands of the German government. 
"'They are robbing old Olympus of what is his. "'They have not even given him a silver watch for it.' "'The king was in his bungalow, facing the plaza. "'Messinois was with him, "'and an equal number of each of their councils. "'The common danger had made them lie down together in peace, "'but they gave a murmur of relief "'as Gordon strode into the room with no ceremony "'and greeted them with a curt wave of the hand. "'Now then, Stedman, be quick,' he said. "'Explain to them what this means.' "'Tell them I will protect them, "'that I am anxious to see that Olympus is not cheated, "'that we will do all we can for them.' "'Outside, on the shore, "'a second boat's crew had landed a group of officers "'and a file of marines. "'They walked in all the dignity of full dress "'across the plaza to the flagpole "'and formed in line on the three sides of it, "'with the marines facing the sea. "'The officers, from the captain with a prayer book in his hand, "'to the youngest middy, "'were as indifferent to the frightened natives about them "'as the other men had been.' The natives, awed and afraid, crouched back among their huts. The marines and the sailors kept their eyes front, and the German captain opened his prayer book. The debate in the bungalow was over. "'If you only had your uniform, sir,' said Bradley Sr., miserably. "'This is a little bit too serious for uniforms and bicycle medals,' said Gordon, "'and these men are used to gold lace.' He pushed his way through the natives and stepped confidently across the plaza. The youngest middy saw him coming, "'and nudged the one next him with his elbow, "'and he nudged the next, "'but none of the officers moved, "'because the captain had begun to read. "'One minute, please,' called Gordon. "'He stepped out into the hollow square "'formed by the Marines, "'and raised his helmet to the captain. "'Do you speak English or French?' "'Gordon said in French. "'I do not understand German.' "'The captain lowered the book in his hands "'and gazed reflectively at Gordon "'through his spectacles, "'and made no reply.' "'If I understand this,' said the younger man, "'trying to be very impressive and polite, "'you are laying claim to this land "'on behalf of the German government.' "'The captain continued to observe him thoughtfully, "'and then said, "'That is so,' and then asked, "'Who are you?' "'I represent the king of this island, Olympus, "'whose people you see around you. "'I also represent the United States government "'that does not tolerate a foreign power near her coast "'since the days of President Monroe and before.' The treaty you have made with Masenwa is an absurdity. There is only one king with whom to treat, and he... The captain turned to one of his officers and said something, and then, after giving another curious glance at Gordon, raised his book and continued reading in a deep, unruffled monotone. The officer whispered an order, and two of the marines stepped out of line, and dropping the muzzles of their muskets, pushed Gordon back out of the enclosure, and left him there with his lips white, "'and trembling all over with indignation. "'He would have liked to have rushed back into the lines "'and broken the captain's spectacles "'over his suntan nose and cheeks, "'but he was quite sure this would only result "'in his getting shot, "'or in his being made ridiculous before the natives, "'which was almost as bad. "'So he stood still for a moment, "'with his blood choking him, "'and then turned and walked back "'to where the king and Stedman were whispering together. "'Just as he turned, "'one of the men pulled the halyards. "'The ball of bunting ran up into the air, "'bobbed, "'twitched and turned, and broke into the folds of the German flag. "'At the same moment the Marines raised their muskets and fired a volley, "'and the officers saluted, and the sailors cheered. "'Do you see that?' cried Stedman, catching Gordon's humor. "'To Olympus. That means that you are no longer king, "'that strange people are coming here to take your land, "'and to turn your people into servants, "'and to drive you back into the mountains. "'Are you going to submit?' "'Are you going to let that flag stay where it is?' 
Masenua and Olympus gazed at one another with fearful, helpless eyes. "'We are afraid,' Olympus cried. "'We do not know what we should do.' "'What do they say?' asked Gordon. "'They say they do not know what to do.' "'I know what I do. I know what I do,' cried Gordon. "'If I were not an American consul, I'd pull down their old flag and put a hole in their boat and sink her.' "'Well,' "'I'd wait until they get under way "'before you do either of those things,' "'said Stedman soothingly. "'That captain seems to be a man "'of much determination of character.' "'But I will pull it down,' cried Gordon. "'I will resign, as Travis did. "'I am no longer consul. "'You can be consul if you want to. "'I promote you. "'I am going up a step higher. "'I mean to be king. "'Tell those two, he ran on excitedly, "'that their only course and only hope is in me.' "'that they must make me ruler of the island "'until this thing is over, "'that I will resign again as soon as it is settled, "'but that someone must act at once, "'and if they are afraid to, I am not, "'only they must give me authority to act for them. "'They must abdicate my favor.' "'Are you in earnest?' gasped Stedman. "'Don't I talk as if I were?' demanded Gordon, "'wiping the perspiration from his forehead. "'And can I be consul?' said Stedman cheerfully. "'Of course. Tell them what I propose to do.' Stedman turned and spoke rapidly to the two kings. The people gathered closer to hear. The two rival monarchs looked at one another in silence for a moment, and then both began to speak at once, their counselors interrupting them and mumbling their guttural comments with anxious earnestness. It did not take them very long to see that they were all of one mind, and then they both turned to Gordon and dropped on one knee, and placed his hands on their foreheads, and Stedman raised his cap. "'They agree,' he explained, "'for it was but pantomime to Albert. "'They salute you as a ruler. "'They are calling you Telemann, "'which means peacemaker. "'The peacemaker, that is your title. "'I hope you will deserve it, "'but I think they might have chosen "'a more appropriate one. "'Then I'm really king,' demanded Albert, decidedly, "'and I can do what I please. "'They give me full power. "'Quick, do they?' "'Yes, but don't do it,' begged Stedman. "'And just remember, I am an American consul now, "'and that is much superior to being a crowned monarch. "'You said so yourself.' "'Albert did not reply to this, "'but ran across the plaza, followed by the two Bradleys. "'The boats had gone. "'Hoist that flag beside the brass cannon,' he cried, "'and stand ready to salute it when I drop this one.' "'Bradley Jr. grasped the halyards of the flag, "'which he had forgotten to raise and salute in the morning "'in all the excitement of the arrival of the man of war.' Bradley Sr. stood by the brass cannon, blowing gently on his lighted fuse. Blowing gently on his lighted fuse. The peacemaker took the halyards of the German flag in his two hands, gave a quick, sharp tug, and down came the red, white, and black piece of bunting. And the next moment, young Bradley sent the stars and stripes up in their place. As it rose, Bradley's brass cannon barked merrily like a little bulldog, and the peacemaker cheered. "'Why don't you cheer, Stedman?' he shouted. "'Tell those people to cheer for all they're worth. "'What sort of an American consul are you?' "'Stedman raised his arm half-heartedly to give the time, "'and opened his mouth, "'but his arm remained fixed and his mouth open, "'while his eyes stared at the retreating boat "'of the German man-of-war. "'In the stern sheets of this boat, "'the stout German captain was struggling unsteadily to his feet. "'He raised his arm and waved it to someone "'on the great man-of-war, as though giving an order. "'The natives looked from Stedman to the boat.' and even Gordon stopped in his cheering and stood motionless watching. They had not very long to wait, 
"'There was a puff of white smoke and a flash, "'and then a loud report, "'and across the water came a great black ball "'skipping lightly through and over the waves "'as easily as a flat stone thrown by a boy. "'It seemed to come very slowly. "'At least it came slowly enough for everyone "'to see that it was coming directly toward the brass cannon. "'The Bradleys certainly saw this, "'for they ran as fast as they could "'and kept on running. "'The ball caught the cannon under its mouth "'and tossed it in the air, "'knocking the flagpole into a dozen pieces.' "'and passing on through two of the palm-covered huts. "'Great heavens, Gordon!' cried Stedman. "'They're firing on us!' "'But Gordon's face was radiant and wild. "'Firing on us?' he cried. "'On us? Don't you see? Don't you understand? "'What do we amount to? "'They have fired on the American flag. "'Don't you see what that means? "'It means war. "'A great international war. "'And I am a war correspondent at last.' He ran up to Stedman and seized him by the arm so tightly that it hurt. "'By three o'clock,' he said, "'they will know in the office what has happened. "'The country will know it tomorrow when the paper is on the street. "'People will read it all over the world. "'The emperor will hear of it at breakfast. "'The president will cable for further particulars. "'He will get them. "'It is the chance of a lifetime. "'And we are on the spot.' Stedman did not hear this. He was watching the broadside of the ship to see another puff of white smoke. "'but there came no such sign. "'The two rowboats were raised. "'There was a cloud of black smoke from the funnel, "'a creaking of chains sounding faintly across the water, "'and the ship started at half speed "'and moved out of the harbor. "'The Opekians and the hillmen fell on their knees, "'or to dancing, as best suited their sense of relief. "'But Gordon shook his head. "'They are only going to land the Marines,' he said. "'Perhaps they are going to the spot they stopped at before, "'or to take up another position farther out at sea.' They will land men and then shell the town, and the land forces will march here and cooperate with the vessel, and everybody will be taken prisoner or killed. We are the center of the stage, and we are making history. I'd rather read it than make it, said Stedman. You've got us on a senseless, silly position, Gordon, and a mighty unpleasant one, and for no reason I can see except to make copy for your paper. Tell those people to get their things together. "'said Gordon, and marched back out of danger into the woods. "'Tell Olympus I'm going to fix things all right. "'I don't know just how yet, but I will. "'And now come after me as quickly as you can to the cable office. "'I've got to tell the paper all about it.' "'It was three o'clock before the chap at Octavia answered Stedman's signaling. "'Then Stedman delivered Gordon's message "'and immediately shut off all connection "'before the Octavia operator could question him. "'Gordon dictated his message in this way.' "'Begin with the dateline, Opeki, June 22nd. "'At seven o'clock this morning, "'the captain and officers of the German man-of-work Kaiser "'went through the ceremony of annexing this island "'in the name of the German emperor, "'basing their right to do so "'on an agreement made with a leader of a wandering tribe "'known as the Heelmen. "'King Olypovus, the present monarch of Opeki, "'delegated his authority, "'as also did the leader of the Heelmen, "'to King Telemann, or the peacemaker, "'who tore down the German flag and raised that of the United States in its place. At the same moment, the flag was saluted by the battery. This salute, being mistaken for an attack on the Kaiser, was answered by that vessel. Her first shot took immediate effect, completely destroying the entire battery of the Opekians, cutting down the American flag, and destroying the houses of the people. There was only one brass cannon and two huts, expostulated Stedman. Well, that was the whole battery, wasn't it? asked Gordon. "'At two huts is plural. "'I said houses of the people. "'I couldn't say two houses of the people. 
"'Just you send this as you get it. "'You are not an American consul at the present moment. "'You are an underpaid agent of a cable company, "'and you send my stuff as I write it. "'The American residents have taken refuge in the consulate. "'That's us,' explained Gordon, "'and the English residents have sought refuge in the woods. "'That's the Bradleys, King Telemann. "'That's me. "'Declares his intention of fighting against the annexation. "'The forces of the Opekians are under the command of Captain Thomas Bradley.' "'I guess I might as well make him a colonel. "'Of Colonel Thomas Bradley, of the English Army. "'The American consul says—' "'Now, what do you say, Stedman? "'Hurry up, please,' asked Gordon, "'and say something good and strong.' "'You're getting me all mixed up,' complained Stedman, plaintively. "'Which am I now, a cable operator or the American consul?' "'The consul! "'Of course. "'Say something patriotic and about your determination "'to protect the interests of your government and all that.' "'Gordon bit the end of his pencil impatiently and waited. "'I won't do anything of the sort, Gordon,' said Stedman. "'You're getting me into an awful lot of trouble, and yourself, too. "'I won't say a word.' "'The American consul,' read Gordon, as his pencil wriggled across the paper, "'refuses to say anything for publication "'until he has communicated with the authorities at Washington. "'But from all I can learn, he sympathizes entirely with Telemann. "'Your correspondent has just returned from an audience with King Telemann.' who asks him to inform the American people that the Monroe Doctrine will be sustained as long as he rules this island. I guess that's enough to begin with, said Gordon. Now send that off quick, and then get away from the instrument before the man in Octavia begins to ask questions. I am going out to precipitate matters. Gordon found the two kings sitting dejectedly side by side, and gazed grimly upon the disorder of the village, from which the people were taking their leave as quickly as they could get their few belongings piled upon the ox-carts. Gordon walked among them, helping them in every way he could, and tasting, in their subservience and gratitude, the sweets of sovereignty. When Stedman had locked up the cable office and rejoined him, he bade him tell Masenwa to send three of his youngest men and fastest runners back to the hills to watch for the German vessel and see where she was attempting to land her marines. "'This is a tremendous chance for descriptive writing, Stedman,' said Gordon, enthusiastically. "'All this confusion and excitement, and the people leaving their homes and all that,' "'It's like the people getting out of Brussels before Waterloo, "'and then the scene at the foot of the mountains, "'while they're camping out there, until the Germans leave. "'I never had a chance like this before.' "'It was quite dark by six o'clock, "'and none of the three messengers had as yet returned. "'Gordon walked up and down the empty plaza "'and looked now at the horizon for the man of war, "'and again down the road back of the village, "'but neither the vessel nor the messengers "'bearing word of her appeared. "'The night passed without any incident.' and in the morning Gordon's impatience became so great that he walked out to where the villagers were in the camp and passed on halfway up the mountain, but he could see no sign of the man of war. He came back more restless than before, and keenly disappointed. "'If something don't happen before three o'clock, Stedman,' he said, "'our second cablegram will have to consist of glittering generalities, and I'll link the interview with King Telemann by himself.' Nothing did happen. Olympus and Masenwa began to breathe more freely." They believed the new king had succeeded in frightening the German vessel away forever. But the new king upset their hopes by telling them that the Germans had undoubtedly already landed, and had probably killed the three messengers. Now then, he said, with pleased expectation, as Stedman and he seated themselves in the cable office at three o'clock. Open it up, and let's find out what sort of an impression we've made. Stedman's face, as the answer came into his first message of greeting, was one of strangely marked disapproval. "'What does he say?' 
demanded Gordon anxiously. "'He hasn't done anything but swear yet,' answered Stedman grimly. "'What is he swearing about?' "'He wants to know why I left the cable yesterday. "'He says he's been trying to call me up for the last twenty-four hours, "'ever since I sent my message at three o'clock. "'The home office is jumping mad and wants me discharged. "'They won't do that, though,' he said, in a cheerful aside, "'because they haven't paid me my salary for the last eight months.' "'He says, Great Scott! "'And this will please you, Gordon. "'He says that there have been over two hundred queries "'for matter from papers all over the United States "'and from Europe. "'Your paper beat them on the news. "'And now the home office is packed with San Francisco reporters, "'and the telegrams are coming in every minute, "'and they've been abusing him for not answering them. "'And he says that I'm a fool. "'He wants as much as you can send, and all the details. "'He says all the papers will have to put "'by Yokohama Cable Company,' "'on the top of each message they print, "'and that that is advertising the company "'and is sending the stock up. "'It rose 15 points on change in San Francisco today, "'and the president and the other officers are buying—' "'I don't want to hear about their company,' "'snapped out Gordon, pacing up and down in despair. "'What am I to do? "'That's what I want to know. "'Here I have the whole country stirred up "'and begging for news. "'On their knees for it, "'and a cable all to myself, "'and the only man on the spot, "'and nothing to say.' "'I'd just like to know how long that German idiot "'intends to wait before he begins shelling this town "'and killing people. "'He has put me in a most absurd position.' "'Here's a message for you, Gordon,' said Stedman, "'with businesslike calm. "'Albert Gordon, correspondent,' he read. "'Try American Consul. First message, OK. "'Beat the country. "'Can take all you send. "'Give names of foreign residents massacred "'and fuller account blowing up palace. "'Dodge.' The expression on Gordon's face as this message was slowly read off to him had changed from one of gratified pride to one of puzzled consternation. "'What's he mean by foreign residents massacred and blowing up a palace?' asked Stedman, looking over his shoulder anxiously. "'Who is Dodge?' "'Dodge is the night editor,' said Gordon nervously. "'They must have read my message wrong. "'You sent just what I gave you, didn't you?' he asked. "'Of course I did,' said Stedman indignantly. "'I didn't say anything about the massacre of anybody, did I?' asked Gordon. "'I hope they're not improving on my account. "'What am I to do? This is getting awful. "'I'll have to go out and kill a few people myself. "'Oh, why doesn't that Dutch captain begin to do something? "'What sort of fighter does he call himself? "'He wouldn't shoot at a school of porpoises. "'Here comes a message to Leonard T. Travis, "'American Consul Opeki, read Stedman. "'It's rainy messages today.' "'Send full details of massacre of American citizens by German sailors. "'Secretary of—' "'Great Scott!' gasped Stedman, "'interrupting himself and gazing at his instrument with horrified fascination. "'The Secretary of State!' "'That settles it!' roared Gordon, "'pulling at his hair and burying his face in his hands. "'I have got to kill some of them now!' "'Albert Gordon, correspondent,' read Stedman, "'impressively, like the voice of fate.' "'Is Colonel Thomas Bradley commanding native forces at Opeki? "'Colonel Sir Thomas Kent Bradley of Crimean Warpame? "'Correspondent London Times, San Francisco Press Club.' "'Go on, go on,' said Gordon desperately. "'I'm getting used to it now. Go on.' "'American Consul, Opeki,' read Stedman. "'Home Secretary desires you to furnish list of names "'English residents killed during shelling of Opeki "'by ship of war Kaiser, "'an estimate of amount of property destroyed. "'Staughton, British Embassy, Washington.' "'Stedman!' cried Gordon, jumping to his feet. "'There's a mistake here somewhere. 
"'These people cannot all have made my message read like that. "'Someone has altered it. "'And now I have got to make these people here live up to that message, "'whether they like being massacred or blown up or not. "'Don't answer any of those messages except the one from Dodge. "'Tell him things have quieted down a bit, "'and that I'll send four thousand words on the flight of the natives from the village, "'and their encampment at the foot of the mountains, "'and of the exploring party we have sent out to look for the German vessel. "'And now I am going to make something happen.' Gordon said that he would be gone for two hours at least, and as Stedman did not feel capable of receiving any more nerve-stirring messages, he cut off all connection with Octavia by saying, "'Goodbye for two hours,' and running away from the office. He sat down on a rock on the beach and mopped his face with his handkerchief. "'After a man has taken nothing more exciting than weather reports from Octavia for a year,' he soliloquized, "'it's a bit disturbing to have all the crowned heads of Europe and their secretaries "'calling upon you for details of a massacre that never came off. "'At the end of two hours, Gordon returned from the consulate "'with a massive manuscript in his hand. "'Here's three thousand words,' he said, desperately. "'I never wrote more and said less in my life. "'It will make them weep at the office. "'I had to pretend that they knew all that had happened so far. "'They apparently do know more than we do, "'and I have filled it full of prophecies of more trouble ahead, "'and with interviews with myself and the two ex-kings.' The only news element in it is that the messengers have returned to report that the German vessel is not in sight and there is no news. They think she's gone for good. Suppose she has, Stedman, he groaned, looking at him helplessly. What am I going to do? Well, as for me, said Stedman, I'm afraid to go near that cable. It's like playing with a live wire. My nervous system won't stand many more shocks as those they gave us this morning. Gordon threw himself down dejectedly in a chair in the office, and Stedman approached his instrument gingerly, as though it might explode. "'He's swearing again,' he explained, sadly, in answer to Gordon's look of inquiry. "'He wants to know when I am going to stop running away from the wire. He has a stack of messages to send, he says, but I guess he'd better wait and take your copy first. Don't you think so?' "'Yes, I do,' said Gordon. "'I don't want any more messages than I've had. That's the best I can do,' he said." "'as he threw his manuscript down beside Stedman. "'And they can keep on cabling until the wire burns red hot, "'and they won't get any more.' "'There was silence in the office for some time, "'while Stedman looked over Gordon's copy, "'and Gordon stared dejectedly out at the ocean. "'This is pretty poor stuff, Gordon,' said Stedman. "'It's like giving people milk when they want brandy.' "'Don't you suppose I know that?' growled Gordon. "'It's the best I can do, isn't it? "'It's not my fault that we're not all dead now.' I can't massacre foreign residents if there are no foreign residents. But I can commit suicide, though, and I'll do it if something doesn't happen. There was a long pause in which the silence of the office was only broken by the sound of the waves beating on the coral reefs outside. Stedman raised his head wearily. He's swearing again, he said. He says this stuff of yours is all nonsense. He says stock in the YCC has gone up 102 and that owners are unloading and making their fortunes. "'and that this sort of descriptive writing "'is not what the company wanted.' "'What's he think I'm here for?' cried Gordon. "'Does he think I pulled down the German flag "'and risked my neck half a dozen times "'and had myself made king "'just to boom his Yokohama cable stock? "'Confound him! "'You might at least swear back. "'Tell him just what the situation is in a few words. "'Here, stop that rigmarole to the paper "'and explain to your home office "'that we are awaiting developments, "'and that, in the meanwhile, "'they must put up with the best we can send them.' "'Wait. Send this to Octavia.' Gordon wrote rapidly, and read what he wrote as rapidly as it was written. "'Operator. Octavia. You seem to have misunderstood my first message. The facts in the case are these. 
a German man-of-war raised a flag on this island. It was pulled down, and the American flag raised in its place and saluted by a brass cannon. The German man-of-war fired once at the flag and knocked it down, and then steamed away and has not been seen since. Two huts were upset. That is all the damage done. The battery consisted of the one brass cannon before mentioned. No one, either native or foreign, has been massacred. The English residents are two sailors. The American residents are the young man who is sending you this cable and myself. Our first message is quite true in substance, but perhaps misleading in detail. I made it so because I fully expected much more to happen immediately. Nothing has happened, or seems likely to happen, and that is the exact situation up to date. Albert Gordon Now, he asked after a pause, what does he say to that? He doesn't say anything, said Stedman. I guess he's fainted. Here it comes, he added in the same breath. He bent toward his instrument, and Gordon raised himself from his chair and stood beside him as he read it off. The two young men hardly breathed in the intensity of their interest. Dear Stedman, he slowly read aloud, you and your young friend are a couple of fools. If you had allowed me to send you the messages awaiting transmission here to you, you would not have sent me such a confession of guilt as you have just done. You had better leave Opeki at once, or hide in the hills. I am afraid I have placed you in a somewhat compromising position with the company, which is unfortunate, especially as, if I am not mistaken, they owe you some back pay. You should have been wiser in your day, and bought YCC stock when it was down to five cents, as yours truly did. You are not, Stedman, as bright a boy as some. And as for your friend, the war correspondent, he has queered himself for life. You see, my dear Stedman, after I had sent off your first message— and demands for further details came pouring in, and I could not get you at the wire to supply them. I took the liberty of sending some on myself. "'Great heavens!' gasped Gordon. Stedman grew very white under his tan, and the perspiration rolled on his cheeks. "'Your message was so general in its nature that it allowed my imagination full play, and I sent on what I thought would please the papers, and what was much more important to me would advertise the YCC stock. This I have been doing while waiting for material from you. Not having a clear idea of the dimensions or population of Opeki, it is possible that I have done you and your newspaper friend some injustice. I killed off about a hundred American residents, two hundred English, because I don't like the English, and a hundred French. I blew up old Olympus and his palace with dynamite, and shelled the city, destroying some hundred thousand dollars worth of property and then I waited anxiously for your friend to substantiate what I had said. This he has most unkindly failed to do. I am very sorry, but much more so for him than for myself, for I, my dear friend, have cabled on to a man in San Francisco, who is one of the directors of the YCC, to sell all my stock, which he has done at a hundred and two, and he is keeping the money until I come, and I leave Octavia this afternoon to reap my just reward. I am in about twenty thousand dollars on your little war, and I feel grateful. So much so that I will inform you that the ship of war Kaiser has arrived at San Francisco, for which port she sailed directly from Opeki. Her captain has explained the real situation, and offered to make every amend for the accidental indignity shown to our flag. He says he aimed at the cannon, which was trained on his vessel, and which had first fired on him. But you must know, my dear Stedman, that before his arrival, war vessels belonging to the several powers mentioned in my revised despatches, had started for Opeki at full speed to revenge the butchery of the foreign residents. 
"'A word, my dear young friend, to the wise is sufficient. "'I am indebted to you to the extent of twenty thousand dollars, "'and in return I give you this kindly advice. "'Leave Opeki. "'If there is no other way, swim. "'But leave Opeki.' "'The sun that night, as it sank below the line "'where the clouds seemed to touch the sea, "'merged them both into a blazing, blood-red curtain, "'and colored the most wonderful spectacle "'that the natives of Opeki had ever seen.' Six great ships of war, stretching out over a league of sea, stood blackly out against the red background, rolling and rising, and leaping forward, flinging back smoke and burning sparks up into the air behind them, and throbbing and panting like living creatures in their race for revenge. From the south came a three-decked vessel, a great island of floating steel, with a flag as red as the angry sky behind it, snapping in the wind. To the south of it plunged two long, low-lying torpedo boats, flying the French tricolor, and still farther to the north towered three magnificent hulls of the white squadron. Vengeance was written on every curve and line, on each straining engine rod, and on each polished gun muzzle. And in front of these, a clumsy fishing boat rose and fell on each passing wave. Two sailors sat in the stern, holding the rope and tiller, and in the bow, with their backs turned forever toward Opeki, stood two young boys, their faces lit by the glow of the setting sun and stirred by the sight of the great engines of war plunging past them on their errand of vengeance. Stedman, said the elder boy, in an awe-struck whisper, and with a wave of his hand. We have not lived in vain. Thanks for joining us for part two and the conclusion of The Reporter Who Made Himself King. We hope you enjoyed this story, and if you did, Please send us a review for 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll return next Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time with a brand new classic short story. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.